Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. The year was 1988. Come on, everybody. (laughs) Somebody, I just seen somebody mouth, who's that? (laughs) That's what I said. We used to keep this picture up in our house on a bookshelf, and people would come over our house, and somebody said to me, and that's when we took it down, they said, who was Patty's first husband? (laughs) They've never been invited back over. (laughs) Yeah, that was the hair. Oh. Can I I just go down memory lane just just a minute Uh, anyway? It's interesting, I show that picture, and of course, there are smiles on both of our faces. Mine looks a little bit, I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, the reality is as it was, and I don't say this to get kudos, it was the happiest day of my life. Um, I, I, I had been praying my entire life to have a family, and this was the beginning. Um, I don't know, I was one of those weird kids maybe, but having a family was my prayer every night. I, I, I grew up watching these really extreme shows like The Waltons. Anybody remember those days? And Little House on the Prairie. And a little happy days when I could sneak that in there. But, but they had these family times and these family talks and they prayed around the table. And I remember watching those things and saying, man, that's what I want. And that was so foreign to me. I I didn't know that. And so the day came, not only did we get married, but then just a couple years later, the day came for Patty to give birth to our son, our first, uh, Jake. And um, and, and I I didn't know it. I wanted that so bad. Um, I, I had visions of being everything to my kids that I didn't have. Um, I, I wanted, in a certain way, take this the right way, I was looking forward to their birth because in a way it was a chance for me to be born again. It was a chance for me to spoil them and buy them the toys that I wanted and have the things and go to the places and do the things and have the family meals. It was an opportunity for me to somewhat live vicariously through them. And, and so there we are in the hospital room, and as much as I wanted that, for the first time it hit me like a ton of bricks that two of us came into this hospital and three of us are leaving. Does anybody remember those experiences? And, and all of a sudden it hit me uh, somewhere in between contractions and screaming that I was scared. And I, I, all of a sudden it hit me, what do I do when we leave here? Uh, um, and then to add to that, about the time I started feeling some level of anxiety and fear, it never crossed my mind because I wanted this so bad. But all of a sudden, and I don't know if it was just my own insufficiencies or the voice of the enemy saying and beginning to talk to me and telling me there's no way that I could be a good dad because I've had no model of that. And, and so I began to be afraid. And not only did I start uh, having anxiety there, but then in the delivery something happened, and I heard one of the nurses say, the baby's heart rate is dropping. And with that, 
It was like a SWAT team of nurses and doctors invaded our nice little kumbaya room and whisked Patty on the bed out of the room to ER. And, and now, I, it, it was terrifying in the moment. I was 23 years old, had never experienced family life, had no idea what I was doing. They, they, they ought to give you a, you, you ought to have to pass some tests before you become a parent. And uh, I, I was left alone in the room. It, it, it seems a little funny now because now when I play it back in my mind, it almost looks like a cartoon scene that everyone rushed in, took her out, and there's just little papers flying and landing on the ground, and I'm standing there like that. And it hit me huge. And, and, and I recognize something looking backwards on it that is very significant to the wounds in my life. I was left in the room. I was left in the room alone. And, the feel, and, the, and noticing that I was alone had me feeling helpless. I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but those were the feelings of anxiety that I grew up with. Often alone. Often alone as a child trying to navigate through the night, navigate how to have dinner. And those feelings often in my insufficiencies as a child, a child is not meant to be abandoned. A child is not meant to be alone. So I had insufficiencies that made me feel inadequate and helpless. And um, I, I'm not sure if I was more terrified of them taking her to the ER and leaving me standing alone. I'm not sure if I was more terrified there or if I was more terrified when I finally was escorted into the emergency room only to watch them pulling another life out of her body and handing him to me and saying, congratulations, you're a dad. Whoo! How many know you can have the greatest and most terrifying moment all wrapped up in one, right? Am I talking to anybody today? And, and, and I'm not sure what, what terrified me more. And I, you may have heard me tell the story. We got released from the hospital a day or two later. I don't remember. We went home. We had Jake's nursery all set up. I finally got a moment by myself with my son. And I took that little California raisin-looking child... And I looked at him, and I held him just right there in these two little hands. And he's wiggling around and looking at me. I thought he was smiling at me as I was talking. I only now realize he probably had gas. I'm not really sure what was going on. But I gave him the speech. And it was intense, everyone. I told him in those minutes everything that I ever wanted to hear. I looked at that little child and said, I'm going to be the best dad I know how to be. I'm going to be there for you. You're never going to want anything. And I mean, it was a pitiful Hallmark movie producer should have been there. <laughs> I, had te I didn't even just have tears. How many know you're really crying when you have tears mixed with snot all at the same time, right? So I had tears and snot. He wouldn't remember this, so it didn't matter. And I told him, I made promises to him. And that was about the time he looked up at me, and I thought he was listening to me. And then he puked all over me. <laughs> so two and a half years later, we brought Janessa home, and I did the same thing. After we got home, I thought, man, I'm going to give her the speech, too. 
and, and, and I gave her the speech and, and tears again rolling down my face. I had learned one or two things, but I was still extremely inadequate in being a family, uh, in being a family man, in being a father. I still didn't know what it was to love my wife unselfishly. I had so much growing up to do, and I was wondering how in the world can a kid raise a kid? And so I gave her the same speech, tears running down my face, and I gave her the same exact speech, all I'm going to always be there for you. Now, Janessa, she didn't puke on me, but she did look up at me when I finished the speech and said, does this mean we'll be going shopping? That's... <laughs> Now I'm holding the very thing that I had begged God for. I'm holding the prize. I'm holding the very thing that I had asked for. And the thought came into my mind, you better be careful what you ask for because God may give it to you. And then I realized that the answer to that prayer was now going to be preceded by millions of other prayers that God would help me raise healthy kids I was so afraid and I was filled with fear because the question, I didn't ask it this way then. I'm going to put it into today's context. But I was asking, how am I going to do this? In essence, what I was asking is, how could a broken arrow raise a straight arrow? How could a, how could a broken arrow, how, how, could, how could a broken arrow raise a strong, straight Flying high, hitting the mark arrow. That's what terrified me. I was terrified that I would ruin someone else's life and they would have a life that was really no much farther ahead than I was. Now, I'm not an archer or anything. I know we got some real manly men that go out and shoot uh, with arrows. I, I have no idea how to do all that. But I know enough to know that a broken arrow does not hit its target. I know enough to know that a broken arrow uh, cannot fly straight. I know enough to know that a broken arrow does not hit the intended goal that it was set out, produced, or made to hit. Right, everybody? And, and, and even in the con context of a church, as we are people of God, we have this false idea, yeah, but now I'm saved. But just because we're saved doesn't mean that the arrow is fixed. The good news is we're on our way to heaven. The challenging news for us, I, I, I was as saved as I was going to be when my kids were born. I, was, I, I gave my life to the Lord somewhere around six years old, and I loved God my whole life. Uh, I, I never walked away from God. I served Him my entire life. But I was a broken arrow trying to navigate through this thing called life. Can anybody relate? And even in salvation, we can be saved. The good news is we're going to heaven. The challenging news might be that we don't fly as straight or hit the destinies or the plans and the purposes that God has for us while we're waiting for the bus to pick us up. Hello? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and see, we have to remember Jesus said something in John 10.10 10 that really relates to this. In John 10.10, 10, he says this, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me back up before I read the rest of the verse, and, and I challenge you to just let me paraphrase it for a moment. The enemy, 
the, the devil, whatever you want to call him, the thief comes only to break the arrow. Because the enemy is terrified of the targets you will hit and the places you will go and the things you will accomplish and the generational curses that you will break if you ever get mended and hit the target that God intended for you to hit. Come on, are you hearing me today? And, and so he works really hard to break the arrows. But Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life and have life to the full. One translation says, I have come that you would have abundant life, blessed life, prosperous life, life under God's favor. Come on, right? And some of us, when we read a verse like that, we think, well, life here is challenging, but because I'm saved, when I get to heaven, I'll have abundant life. But the truth of the matter is, the moment that you become a believer in Jesus Christ and you start this journey, you can begin the process of healing the broken arrows and you can experience abundant, favorful life while you're here waiting on the bus. Come on, everybody, right? Right? Uh, It's possible to be saved, but have continual problems with with habitual sin. People ask me, can I still go to heaven with habitual sin? God's grace is greater than that problem that you're trying to break. I I don't think the problem so much is that sin as it is the root of that broken arrow. And I'm trying to do this, but I keep... I'm trying to fly this way, but every time I launch, I go this way. Come on now. I know none of you understand this, but how many of you know somebody like this? Yeah, yeah, I I have this continual, this habitual sin or this habit, if I could dare say, a continual problem or, or a dysfunction. I'm not functioning the way that God created me to function. And, and, this, and this, what it does, it keeps me missing the mark. Uh, missing the mark. Because all of us have some areas of our life that we're broken. And um, some of us can really relate to what it means to be delivered, but damaged. <laughs> Saved, but man, I've got some spots in my life. And matter of fact, it's the brokenness that probably pushed you to your salvation to begin with. And the good news is you found grace in that. The challenging news is maybe we as a church have fallen short and saying that's all you need. And there's truth to that. Salvation is all you need. But come on, wouldn't it be great to live healthy and an overcoming life while we're here? Right, everybody? Yes? Uh, and I believe in this series that God wants to restore some broken arrows so that we can, we can reach the goals. We can reach the destinies. We can become the people that he created us to be before the foundations of the world and before sin broke the arrows, right? There, there's a verse we use oftentimes for parents. Uh, it's found in Psalms chapter 127. Let me read it to you. It's kind of will be our foundational verse. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend. Life is all about contending. It's about fighting with their opponents in the court. Um, 
This verse, it's often used uh, as a visual re- uh, to, to teach parents when we're raising children and how blessed we are to have them. Come on, parents, how many know every once in a while you need to rem- be reminded that they're a blessing? Can I get an amen? They're not in here. You can amen. It's okay. But I want to take a little different look at this because each of us, um, each of us come into this world the same way. We're, we all have a mom and dad. Whether we knew them or not, we come in. But like the arrows, um, we come into this world the same way, and we come into this world full of potential. We come into this world perhaps even with hopes and aspirations of hitting targets. Um, I think this verse does one more thing before I get off that. I think, I think it's a reminder to parents that children will go wherever we aim them. And if we fail to help aim them, they may become broken arrows shooting at whatever with no purpose in life. <laughs> That's maybe another message. See, the truth is, is that we all, we're all arrows, but we all don't get placed in the same quiver, do we? We, 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 we're not all born to the same mom and dad and the same social economics and the same financial situation and the same neighborhoods. We all, uh, we, we all grow up in different quivers and some of us are raised in homes that are stronger. Even if they're not Christian homes, they're, they're homes that have good moral compasses. But some of us, before we ever get pulled out, before we ever get to do this thing called adulting, We're broken in the quiver before we can ever make a decision for ourselves. And it's not always your fault that you're broken. It happened while you were yet in the quiver. Oh, come on now. It happened in the quiver. And too often, I know this cuts a little deep for some, but too often it's in our childhoods that we are mishandled. And it's in our childhoods that we become broken, damaged, uh, hurt, hindered in the quiver before ever getting a chance to fly. Um, But here's the good news. The good news is you're here today. The good news is that through just a little bit of stirring up of some nasty old, God will stir that up, and God is here, and God wants to heal. And some of your wounds are very fresh, like 24 hours fresh, and some of your wounds are 24 days fresh, and some wounds are still there 24 years later. But I'm glad that God stands on the beginning and the end, and on the outside and the inside of time, and that's why He can heal the past, He can heal the present, and He he can control the future. Come on, everybody, right? Uh, he, he, that's his business. His business is restoration. And, and often the adult problems that we face are often traced back to the hurts of childhood. And we're, we're, we're in grown-up bodies with shaving whiskers, but underneath it all we're just little boys that are still reliving that same year over and over. And that emotion, that anger, that whatever it is, that mistrust, that unforgiveness, it hasn't grown. It hasn't changed. We're still the broken arrow. And and, and when I talk about past hurt childhoods, there are many that would have the tendency to laugh at that and discount childhood issues. However, there's this other verse in the Bible that I find intriguing, and we've often read this verse 
um, on the subject of marriage and divorce and adultery. And, and I've watched Christians, theologians, pastors fight over this and make doctrine out of it. But I think there's something deeper in the verse that we miss over and over and over. The issue is not so much the divorce or the adultery. It's the children that pay the price in the midst of all the devastation that is going on around them. Mm -hmm. Let me read it to you. Mark chapter number uh, 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus. I love this verse. I love the imagery of this verse. First of all, it tells me a whole lot about who Jesus is. I mean, you got to be a pretty cool, fun-loving, gracious. you got to be a cool dude for little kids to want to be around you. If you're weird, kids have a radar for weirdness. How many know that? (laughs) If you're mean, if you're judgmental, even if you're religious and legalistic, kids have a great radar. Mm -hmm. And so people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Mm -hmm. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, I love that, he was indignant. That's just a fancy way of saying he was ticked off. All right, and, and, and he, he, he said to them, let the little children come to me. I need to stop right there. Some of you are sitting here and listening to me online, and you're in grown-up bodies. But in this series, God wants you that are disguised in your grown-up bodies to let your little child come to him because he wants to place hands on the little child, the broken arrow, and heal the little child. Come on, everybody, right? Let him come. Get, get past the excuses and get past the I'm grown now and get past to I got a mortgage now, I don't need all that. And let the little child come back to God and say, hey, this happened 30 years ago, but the little kid is coming back to you and I desperately need help and healing or I will never hit the target that you've called me to reach. Come on now. Mm, 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 mm. I need to finish reading it. For the kingdom of God belongs. Oh, there's so much here to such as these. Uh, Now, it's interesting. Let me give you a little background. If you'll take your Bibles and you'll go to that verse. I know we don't use paper Bibles too much in the chairs, but here's your devotions for the week. Because if you go back and read the prelude to the children coming to Jesus, he had just got done talking on divorce, adultery, remarriage, all those things. Okay? I'm not here to preach on that, but somebody had the insight to recognize that when the house was full of people that had broken homes, somebody had the insight to say, wait, 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 we can, we can argue if it's right or wrong and all these things. That's really, hold on, somebody had the insight to bring the children to Jesus because it was the children that often become broken when they're raised in a broken environment. Now, hold on. If you think I'm preaching that your children are broken because you went through a divorce, I am not saying that. The devil just planted that in your head. That was not me. But it is hard for you to raise somebody that's healthy and whole if the environment they're growing in is not healthy and whole. 
But the good news is we have a loving Savior, and what he does is he restores and he redeems and he fixes, but we have to come to him so he can lay hands on us. Come on, everybody, right? Right? Both are a result. When he's talking about divorce and, and, and adultery, both are the result of something breaking. And, and what happens in the church, we, we, have a, we, we have a very high calling as a church. We have a high calling as parents to raise kids in good, healthy atmospheres. One of the biggest things about us moving to a new facility is, yes, it gives us more seats, but, but it, it takes us from one room of being able to minister to kids to five rooms of being able to minister to kids. Because we got to do a better job at it, everybody. It gives us a youth room. Because we have to manage and steward what God is bringing to us. Let the little children come to Jesus. Right, everyone? And, and in, the, in the church, we often want to deal with the symptoms of the pain. The symptoms, the habits rather than healing the arrow. Mm -hmm. We like to yell at people for not hitting the target. We like to give them some rules. Oh, you were trying to hit the target and you turned right. So we make doctrines out of don't turn right. Thou shall not turn right. You can't be a member of this church if you turn right. Mm -hmm. And so we try real hard. I'm not going to turn right. I'm not going to turn right. I'm not going to turn right. But we forget that it is not by might and it is not by power, but it is by his spirit, says the Lord. Come on. Is anybody here today? Right? It's him. And, and, and even if we have the discipline to overcome the symptom, the arrow, uh, we can overcome the bad habit, but the arrow still might never, may never hit its target, therefore never getting the joy of knowing what it is to walk in the fullness of Christ, everybody. And so we show up on Sunday and do our Sunday thing, and that's cool. But what would it look like if I got to walk in the fullness of Christ, from grace to grace, as the Bible says? Come on, I know it's a little heavy in here, I know. Um, in, in other words, we can avoid bad behavior and still miss our destinies. Hmm. Um, the word sin is an interesting word. And if I pass the microphone around, we'd all have our understanding of what sin is. Oh, it's to break the Ten Commandments. It's to, well, well, one of the most basic definitions for the word sin straight from Scripture is to miss the mark. And sometimes, church, we want people to quit missing the mark, but we haven't given them the tools to heal the arrows. The word was used in archery. It was the, the word missing the mark was used in archery for spear throwing. Matter of fact, this is a little bit off track, but I'll just give it to you. Um, there's a story in the book of Judges. Probably the reason I'm giving it to you is because Judges is a hard book to preach. So here's my Judges. All right, here it is. The story of Judges, there's a story in there that there's this war going on and, and the Israelites went to a partnering community of people that were great at shooting arrows. Let me just give you the verse because it, it kind of shows this whole idea. So, so uh, this is in the Living Bible. Instead, 26,000 of them arrived in Gabeah to join 700 local men in their defense against the rest of Israel. Amongst all these uh, were 700 men who were left-handed, come on, Jake, left-handed, 
Any left-handers in the room? See, it's biblical. See, we got one saved person in the whole church. All right. 700 men who were left-handed sharpshooters. They could hit a target within a hair's breadth, never missing. Now, I, I threw this verse out of this message, and I brought it back. And I threw it out, and I brought it back, because it doesn't really relate, but yes, it does relate. You see, what it tells me is we can defeat any enemy that will ever come against us if the arrow, if our inner soul, if our heart, if our emotions are healed, we can fly straight, come on, and defeat the enemy that is against us. Can I get an amen out of that today? Right, everyone? So, so what is the mark that we miss? The mark is that we, we miss God's plans and purposes for our life. That's the mark that we miss. Um, let me give you some indicators. The rest of today will just be some indicators. Because by now you're probably either sitting there going, yes, I have some broken arrows, or I'm not sure if I've really resolved these things. And you're, you're in, in the first 15 minutes, you're like, hmm, I don't know. Life seems to be good, but why do I always... Does anybody think that besides me? <laughs> Why do I want to zig, but I always zag, right? Um, let me just give you some indicators. Now, please understand something here. Uh, first of all, I need to let you know, in case you didn't know this, I am not a counselor. <laughs> uh, I'm not. In fact, I wouldn't come to me for counseling. I just, uh, I would get mad at me because I do stupid things. I lead me the way I lead. And, and I'm not a good counselor. I'm a pastor. And I'm going to stir some things up in the next few weeks. And one, some of the things we have done, we have reached out to counseling agencies. We've reached out to our elders to beef up our prayer time at the cross. Um, because I want to help give you second steps to where to go. And, 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 but let me also say, there's no magic potion, everybody. Next week, I'm going to talk about how come God only heals us a little at a time. How come I just can't be over all the hurts right now in one song, in one sermon? How come it doesn't work that way? Because God's interested in our journey. He's interested in us looking to Him for daily bread. Hello? Right? And, and, and so I, I'm, I'm going to leave you on a bit of a cliffhanger today because I just want, I want you to be able to look at the dashboard of your life and answer the question, how's my vehicle running? How's the arrow flying? And this may be just some indicators and we'll start unraveling and giving uh, hope and direction and healing as the weeks go. But let's look at them together. This is not a complete list. And I'll just tell you straight up. These are just things that I've dealt with, all right? And these are things that I've seen after 36 years of ministry. So let's just look at some indicators that maybe there's a crack in the arrow. Number one. Number one is not knowing why I act the way I do. Um, let's see, who could I preach this to? Does anybody know what I'm talking about at all? Could I, thank you, AJ, went on, okay, great, me and AJ. Why do I want to do right? Oh, I'm in good company, because I remember the apostle Paul said, why do I want to do right, but I don't do the things I want to do? Um, I, some of you have heard me tell this story, we had just got done with a three-year building program, remodeling 13 buildings and clearing and demoing a spot to drop and build a brand new 1,500-seat auditorium in it. 
We had just invited everyone to our grand opening. I was emotionally exhausted, didn't know I was exhausted. Took my uh, CEO to uh, a, a little sandwich shop, walked in the sandwich shop. It was crowded. He ordered a number nine. I ordered a number seven. There was no seats except in the back of the shop, in the back corner. And we walked back there, and, and he set his cup down on the seat facing the door. So I set mine down at the seat facing uh, the wall with my back against the door. About that time, he decided he needed to go to the bathroom, which was located in the corner at the same parallel as the door to the bathroom was the same parallel as the table. So if you can imagine, his seat, my seat, and the door was between us. That's significant for this reason. The lady yelled out, number seven, number nine. I turned, made eye contact with the lady. She did the sandwiches like this. I went up and grabbed the sandwiches, put his whatever number and my whatever number started opening mine. And from the back of me, a guy come up very abrupt, dressed in a suit, and said, you took my sandwiches. And... Um, Sometimes we measure ourselves on how good we do on a good day. But I think a better barometer might be how we do on a bad day. I don't think we ought to look at ourselves on how we act. I think we ought to consider ourselves in how we react. He went to the other side of the table and began to unwrap. I said, sorry, dude. I said, the lady called my numbers. This is what we ordered, so I just grabbed them. I was already irritated in his approach to me, in the surprise attack. I'm not proud of this story at all, but, but, but he, he went to the other side of the table and said, no, those were mine. And I said, well, she called my name. And as I'm telling him, he begins to, he picks up my friend's sandwich and unwraps it to make sure it wasn't his. And then after he's seen it was what I had already told him it was, he dropped it from this level straight to the table and said, enjoy your day. Now, I am saved. <laughs> but I've come through a lifetime of people trying to take advantage of me. I should say a childhood, not a lifetime. A childhood. And, and I had to learn at a very early age to stick up for myself. And that's all I'm going to say about that. You can fill in the blanks. I grew up in gang-infested neighborhoods, and I grew up with abusive men in my home, and I learned how to take care of myself in ways that are, let's just say, a little Old Testament. How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and it had been many years since I had lost my temper. It had been many years since I had seen, only those that have ever dealt with the subject of rage will understand this. It had been many years since I had seen red and it went blurry and I heard sirens in my ear and adrenaline pumped. And I, every, this all happened in a millisecond. Every muscle in my body went to jump. But by God's grace, my friend came out of the bathroom. Hey, what's going on here? And diffused the whole thing. The guy left. I wrapped up the sandwich and said, I've lost my appetite. I need to go back. I went back to the office. I went in my office and I closed the door and I began to weep before God. I said, because God, I'm only one step away from stupid. And all these years, I thought that I had overcome those issues. But in reality, 
Why was I so close? I would have taken that guy. I had a vision of what I was going to do to him. And it was a very strong vision that included me helping him eat the sandwich that he claimed <laughs> was his. And that's funny now, but that's my natural reaction. But man, it bothered me. I said, God, how can there still be that much of me living in there after all these years? And I cried. I, it ruined my day. It ruined my week. And I remember one day I just felt God say to me, he said, the problem is you have worked hard to manage your anger. <sighs> but you have not been delivered from. See, you've learned how to get close to the target by shooting weird. Anybody golf here? <laughs> you got a slice and the hole's there, so you aim over here. Don't look at me. You're not a PGA tour. I know you. <laughs> Christians can be better sometimes at managing than healing. Sometimes we can build rules in a church called doctrine and only allow you to be a member of our club if you don't break any of those rules when all the reality is those rules are only a cage to manage our behavior. But my question is what happens when you leave the door open? Hmm. Number two. Number two is we have low self-esteem. Um, and, 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 and you never feel good enough. You don't feel valued. You, you, um, you weren't affirmed. Um, names that were, you were called, things how you were made fun of, um, they still reside in your memory. Um, one of the things I can tell you that still i got to be careful it triggers me if somebody makes me feel stupid. Because as a kid, I was often said, you're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. And even after all these years and all the counseling and all the praying, I still have to keep myself in check in certain areas. Can anybody else relate? Or is, is this just my counseling session or is anybody? Uh, and that's, by the way, that's why the church can't hate on people who miss the mark. Because they're broken. They don't know how to hit the mark. They don't know how to be as perfect as we are. Number three is uncontrollable anger. Now, it's interesting. When I talk about uncontrollable anger, anger is not wrong. God gave us anger. God gave us emotions. But do you have emotions or do your emotions have you? Do you control your emotions or do your emotions control you at the worst opportune time? Come on now, right? Um, just don't let them have you. We're going to deal with anger through this. But anger is like if I cut my arm wide open and I got stitches and I'm in a crowd trying to have church and, and I bump into somebody and you bump into my wound, I'm going to flinch. A wound in the soul is no different. And we need to give people just as much grace for that wound as we do this wound. Because if you bump into that spot in my soul that still, that, that, that it, it makes me flinch. And depending who you are, it comes out in different ways. Some people will go into seclusion for a week and not talk to anybody. So other people will blow the whole world up to prove their point. Come on. Other people will choke a guy out in a restaurant, even though he's got the mayor and everybody less than a week away coming to his grand opening. Hello, somebody? Yeah, you understand what I'm saying, right? Number four is emotional disconnectedness. 
um, now, I'm not talking about personality type here. I'm not talking about conservative people, but you build walls around you, and you had to build walls. You learned to build walls because people will hurt you, and you learn to build walls. The problem is, is those walls now become strongholds, and now you can't even get out of your own emotions, out of your own head, and you can't let nobody in. There's an interesting verse in Joshua chapter number 6 where it's talking about the walls of Jericho, and in the old times, the, the walls were the things that were there to protect us against the enemy attacks. And it says something very interesting that I think is relatable right here. It says, now the walls of Jericho were tightly shut up. No one came in and no one went out. And I wonder if sometimes we don't build walls of protection and no one is allowed to come in and know the real you and the real you never comes out. All your relationships are just very surface level. What was the score of the game? How is the weather? No one comes in. No one goes out. You sleep in the same bed with somebody that you've been sleeping in the same bed with for 10 years. And that person, if we interview them, would say, I don't even know them. Because no one comes in and no one goes out. Hmm. Number five. Are you guys okay? Can I do a couple more? It's 10 o'clock. I'm supposed to end. I'll do two. Okay, I hear two. Can I get three? Can I get three? All right. Number, number five is workaholic tendencies because you get everything. You are driven to prove your value. You're driven to prove. I'm not talking about being a hard worker. God bless you for being a hard worker. But workaholic tendencies, you are trying so hard. This is me. I'm telling you, I'm preaching me right here. You work so hard to prove your value. You're very performance-driven. Everything is a goal. Everything is an agenda. Number six is perfectionism, that you won't even start until you think you have all the answers because you're your worst critic, and you're going to do it so perfect that no critic would ever come because you swore no critic would ever criticize your sandcastle again. I'm doing three, so shut up. Number seven. (laughs) The inability to trust. I don't trust anybody. You've been let down so many times and you're broken and now I don't trust anybody. The problem is, is now you're mad at every man because of that man. And you're mad at every woman because of that woman. And you're mad at every church and every pastor because of that pastor. And I don't trust anybody. Number eight is destructive behaviors. Destructive behaviors, overeating, overdrinking, over sex, over just just destruct. You're destroying yourself. Anything that is destructive, from cutting to abusive relationships and allowing yourself to stay in relationships where you are being abused because you don't think you deserve better. Can I do two more? Now I'll do two, all right? <laughs> let me do two. At least let me get to number 10 and I'll close. Number nine is being a people pleaser. This one plagues the church worse than anybody else because you hear us talking about grace and loving people and loving. You do need to love people. You, you have to love people, but not at the detriment of yourself. God gave you a life and you a heart and you a soul. And if you don't take care of you, you'll never help anybody else out. And, and, and again, this is me desperately needing people to approve of me and find value in me. And you will continue to live by someone else's agenda until you know that the only person you have to please is God. Mm, Let me do one last one. Number 10 is a victim mentality. 
Oh, I'm going I'm to do some deeper dives on this subject, so I'll end there. But when we find our identity and our woundedness, there, there are some people walking around, you love Jesus, you're going to heaven, but your whole identity, and it doesn't take us five seconds to figure it out. You don't realize it, but you just send an air about yourself, I'm a victim. And you, because your whole identity is wrapped in what you went through. I want to tell you something in case this is the last time you ever hear me. You are not what you went through. You are who God calls you. Come on, everyone, right? All right, I got to end. <laughs> Would you stand with me? I got to stop. I got to stop right there. I got to end. Uh